The following is a class given by His Holiness Jaya Pataka Swami Maharaj on September 13th, 1984. The class begins with a reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam, 5th Canto, Chapter 7, Verse 13. Translation by His Divine Grace of Abhay Chand Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. Maharaj Bharata appeared very beautiful. He had a wealth of curly hair on his head, which was wet from bathing three times daily. He dressed in a deerskin. He worshipped Lord Narayana, whose body was composed of golden effulgence and who resided within the sun. Maharaj Bharata worshipped Lord Narayana by chanting the hymns given in the Rig Veda, and he, incited, and he recited the following verse as the sun rose. Translation repetition. Maharaj Bharata appeared very beautiful. He had a wealth of curly hair on his head, which was wet from bathing three times daily. He dressed in a deerskin. He worshipped Lord Narayana, whose body was composed of golden effulgence and who resided within the sun. Maharaja Bharata, worship Lord Narayana by chanting the hymns given in the Rig Veda. And he recited the following verse as the sun rose. Purport. The predominant deity within the sun is Hiran Moya, Lord Narayana. He is worshipped by the Gayatri Mantra. He is also worshipped by other hymns mentioned in the Rig Veda. For instance, Jaya Sada Savitri Mandala Madhyavarti. Within the sun, Lord Narayana is situated and he has a golden hue. The verse that he said was, Padodarja Savito Jata Vedo Devasya Bhargo Manasejam Yajjana Sareta Sadha Punaravisya Chaste Hansangridranam Nishaningiram Imam. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is situated in pure goodness. He illuminates the entire universe and bestows all benediction upon his devotees. The Lord has created this universe from his own spiritual potency. According to his desire, the Lord entered this universe as a super soul by virtue of his different potencies. He is maintaining all living entities desiring material enjoyment. Let me offer my respectful obeisances unto the Lord, who is the giver of intelligence. Itang Rita Bhagavat Bratsa Aneya Jina Vasasanu Savana Vishekadra Kapisa Kutila Jata Kalapina Cha Virochamana Suryacha Bhagavantang Hiran Moyang Purushang Ujjihane Surya Mandale Vyupatistan Etat Ukovata 
Translation, Maharaj Bharata appeared very beautiful. He had a wealth of curly hair on his head which was wet from bathing three times daily. He dressed in a deerskin. He worshipped Lord Narayana whose body was composed of golden effulgence and who resided within the sun. Maharaj Bharata worshipped Lord Narayana by chanting the hymns given in the Rig Veda and he recited the following verse as the sun rose. The purport and translation of text 13, chapter 7, canto 5, The Activities of King Bharata, translation purport by his divine grace, Rabbi Charan Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. So, Maharaj Bharata, by performing his devotional service, his love for Krishna increased more and more. melting his uh, heart. Maharaj Bharata was practicing the regulative principles of Bhakti Yoga very strictly. Bathing three times a day, chanting Gayatri Mantra when the sun rose, chanting other prayers according to the time and schedule. Thus he was uh, completely engaged. So from that regulated practice of devotional service, he gradually rose to the platform of bhava or ecstatic devotional service, where he experienced parama alhada, or the highest transcendental spiritual bliss, gumbhira, which was very deep, hidaya, hira, situated in his heart, so much so that he was uh, experiencing the ashta shatika bhav, the eight ecstatic symptoms, like uh, standing of uh, hair on the end, gomaharshana, crying, choking, and so on, choking up in the throat. So many tears were coming, he couldn't see through his eyes. So in that uh, ecstasy, Sometimes he would forget some of the regulative uh, uh, practices or services to the Lord. Might have forget to take a bath at noon or may have forgotten to do some because of chanting and being so absorbed uh, in the ecstasy that uh, he forgot the time just being completely uh, overwhelmed by the uh, meditation upon the Supreme Personality of Godhood. So, this, of course, illustrates the different two stages of devotional service. We practice a devotional service according to the regulative principles. We follow the regulative service. There's a regulative service and there's spontaneous service. You see, of course, <coughs> principles are there in both. But <coughs> one, the regulative service, a person may not even have a great deal of taste. Like someone in the beginning of devotional service, sometimes they say that I'm chanting and I'm rising and I'm doing everything, but I'm still not feeling uh, a great deal of taste. Or sometimes it goes up and sometimes it goes down due to subtle attachments, due to bad association, due to offenses to Vaishnavas and the deity. One may be doing all right and starting to feel very blissful, but then due to some mistakes or irregularity, then again they become distraught. But when one becomes uh, so absorbed in devotional service through practicing regulated service or through the blessings of the spiritual master that one becomes completely filled with uh, the ecstatic symptoms of Krishna consciousness, becomes completely absorbed in a spontaneous devotional service where even for a moment if he is unengaged or she is unengaged in the devotional service, They'd feel very restless. 
You see, in regulated service, someone may feel restless for enjoying sense gratification. And by regulated service, somehow will be keeping the mind pacified. But the spontaneous devotional service is the opposite. One is feeling restless for serving Krishna. And if that devotional service to Krishna is in any way distracted, then that devotee will feel uh, very impatient, find it quite intolerable. So, we can see that uh, Bharat Maharaj, he was practicing very regularly the uh, system of uh, regulated service, cleansing his heart from all material desires very systematically. And then he rose up to the level of spontaneous devotional service, bhava. So, he's also chanting every day different mantras and prayers offered to the Lord. So, there are some people who may worship the sun but that is not the same as worshipping Narayana, who is the origin and uh, presiding deity of the sun. Indirectly, by worshipping the sun, they are worshipping Narayana. But here it very clearly states that uh, Bharat Maharaj was directly worshipping Narayana, who was residing in the sun. It shouldn't be confused with sun worship, which some uh, tribal people are performing, but they don't have... Uh, clear understanding about the position of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Indirectly, those who see the sun as the origin and worship the sun as the origin, and if they see that there's a presiding deity, this service may also be indirectly accepted by Lord Krishna. But here, directly, as the uh, Supreme Personality of Godhead, Bharata Maharaj was worshipping uh, Krishna, who is situated in the sun, who is maintaining and supporting the entire universe and spread everywhere as the super soul in everyone's heart. So, this uh, verse gives us some insight because Bharat Maharaj, he was able to make a very quick advancement. He was very materially uh, well situated. He was the emperor. He had a big family, had ministers, had wealth, had fame, power, had everything materially that a person could desire. But at a certain stage, he realized that this was inadequate. It wasn't the goal of life. That sooner or later, he would have to give everything up. So better sooner, voluntarily, uh, abdicate for his uh, other qualified uh, descendants and let him completely become Krishna conscious. So, that means that he was Dritta Bhagavad Ratha. He accepted the vow to serve the Supreme Personality of Godhead very diligently. Dritta Ratha. We should all become Dhritavata. We should all become and be very diligently dedicated to serving the Supreme Personality of Godhead. This should be our, you see, vow. When we accept the bona fide spiritual master as our uh, Gurudev, as our spiritual master, when we take initiation or even before when we accept his, uh, him in our heart, you see, that deep acceptance is a dridavata. It's a vow. It's a commitment. It's a very, it's an eternal obligation. And accepting that vow, then we guard, our, we guide rather our uh, lives according to the uh, instructions of the spiritual master and the previous spiritual master and masters. And this way, we very diligently neglect 
everything which is opposed to devotional service and we accept whatever is favorable. Here we can also see Anaya Ajina Lasa that he was wearing a deerskin. Of course, today in modern times it's not necessary to wear deerskin. But this also shows us that it is necessary to accept some form of austerity, you see, that we should be ready to accept some inconvenience for the sake of achieving uh, God-realization. We can see in uh, material life, which is normally predominated by the Rajaguna, that so many people are sacrificed for the sake of achieving some kind of material goal. When they build these hundred-story buildings, it's not at all unusual if uh, two, four people fall off and die. It means that just to build a building, they're sacrificing life. So the nature of the Rajaguna, the mode of passion, it is a tremendous suffering to achieve their goal. But people are willing to accept this suffering for the promise of sense gratification. Comparatively, the suffering in devotional service is, is actually, in the beginning, when you're in regulated service level, it may appear as an inconvenience or as an austerity. But when one gradually rises to the, even the spontaneous regulated service or to the fully spontaneous service, it becomes itself a source of transcendental joy. One has to be ready to accept a little inconvenience to practice devotional service. That should be voluntarily accepted. Now, for preaching, we may also have to accept even uh, silk cloth sometimes. We may have to accept uh, different type of situations. Sometimes in India you find the sadhus, they say, we can't ride a car, we have to walk everywhere. We wish that more would take up this type of uh, mode of transportation. Because then, uh, as we're traveling by uh, cars and jets, we could have a little advantage over them to preach uh, more rapidly than those Mayavadis. But also to show that uh, even though uh, nowadays due to the instructions of Rupa and Sanatana Goswami that we should use everything which can be utilized in Krishna's service for his pleasure. So therefore we can travel all over the world using whatever transportation means are available. And we can utilize all modern inventions and so on. At the same time, it's not that we're not uh, capable of also accepting austerities for the sake of preaching Krishna consciousness. So as Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had walked throughout India, so now Iskand has organized Padayatra, retracing the route of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And this is especially attractive for the Indians because sometimes they think, well, in the Western countries, in London, New York, they are practicing devotional service in a very lavish style, you see. But they could never uh, practice it in a humble way in India. When they hear that devotees are coming from all over the world and they're walking in Padayatra with Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, immediately they become overwhelmed that uh, this is something very uh, exceptional and something very wonderful. And so, we just on September 2nd inaugurated the Padayatra. About 150 devotees came from all over the world and all the residents of Dwaraka came, about 40,000. They all came out to greet Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and to send him off. We have a few slides from that uh, function if the temple likes or can organize. Possibly we could show those slides uh, before I leave if anyone likes to see those. So, 
In fact, uh, this Adumna Maharaj told me yesterday that several devotees are coming, uh, going from uh, the UK Yatra to help uh, take Lord Chaitanya throughout uh, India. I don't know who the lucky ones are. So, we take, we practically show, but they don't realize, of course, some of them in India, that actually the devotees of maybe the greater austerity is preaching uh, on the street or in the airports or in different places in the West where people are often very unfavorable, but actually maybe a greater austerity. When you're walking through uh, the uh, villages and thousands of people come out and greet you and uh, throw water on your feet and roll in the water afterwards to express their, uh, you see, all these, it's not actually such a great austerity as it might seem. But this is austerity to have to try avoid getting your feet washed. But uh, the devotees, when they arrived in the first village, there was actually no running water, of course. There was no hot and cold switch or anything. In fact, there wasn't any water at all. <laughs> they happened to pick a dry spot. You see, we had a little meeting and then it was revealed that Prabhupada said, always establish your camp near the water. <laughs> so it's easy to bathe and drink and so on. So near the water hole. So, but the local villagers they themselves carried water by buckets uh, about a half a kilometer, half a mile or so, to the camp where the devotees were. Just spontaneously, the hundreds of villagers started to carry water and fill up uh, big containers for the devotees. So that type of uh, service attitude was uh, very inspirational for all the devotees. So, anyway, we have to accept some type of austerity, actually, for the pure, it's in the previous time, the karma kanda system of devotional service, the karma mystery to bhakti, was more prominent, so many of those uh, systems were used. But uh, in the modern time, since Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he established a more uh, simple sister, he, he was uh, refusing to do such things as wear deer skin and so on. He'd wear saffron cloth, wear cloth. Often that cloth would be offered first to the Lord and we would wear the prasadam. There's still a custom in uh, South India that uh, the Acharya, all his cloth would be offered at the feet of the deity. And after touching the deity, then that would be the new cloth would be given to the uh, to the acharya, to the sannyasi, and then they would wear Krishna prasadam cloth or the previous guru's prasadam cloth. That every cloth would be offered. When we visited the temple uh, in uh, Madurai, the Perumal temple is the second largest Vishnu temple in India in terms of its height right next to the Manakshi temple where Lord Chaitanya visited both the Perumal temple as well as the Manakshi temple. Where Manakshi is the younger sister of uh, Vishnu was uh, married to uh, Sundara Eshwara. So when he went there they had arranged a, a full greeting. They had elephants and the Brahman with the Purnakumba in the Ramanuja Sri Sampradaya system, they came forward chanting Vedic mantras. We had to touch the kumbha, and then that they would bring in, that be offered in worship to. Uh, there's two ways. One is they give a boga kumbha where you touch, and they take that and offer it to Krishna. Or another is they bring a prasadam kumbha installed, and you touch and take the first prasad. So after that, then the elephant came and gave a garland to me. A little naughty, when it gave a garland, it picked my seek and pulled it. <laughs> There's really not much you can say about it. He was bigger than I am. But uh, then when we went inside to the deity, after circumambulating the temple, then they had wrapped 
a uh, cloth around deity, and they took that off and wrapped it around our head in a kind of makeshift turban as a prashad, and that was a special uh, greeting to give uh, the prashadam cloth to the deity, of the deity to the uh, to the devotees. So we prefer to cover ourselves with all prashadam, prashadam cloth, prashadam garlands, prashadam everything, and uh, therefore we avoid deer skin. The uh, although deer skin is also considered one of the four pure, said that uh, cotton has to be cleansed by water. Uh, deer skin is cleaned by just putting it in the sun, and uh, wool is cleaned by being in the wind. If you just shake wool, it's clean. And silk, how, silk is also clean, but I forget. I think it's just silk is always clean. Silk's always clean, no matter what. So, this is one of the pure substances. The uh, so pujaris, often they wear silk. In case something touches it, it's, it's still clean. And wool, although it's pure, we don't normally wear it in the pujari room because one of the little hairs may fall off in the offering. And then you shouldn't offer any prashadam or boga with a hair in it, even if it's a sheep hair. So, those are all the different regular principles, but uh, Bharata Maharaj, he became, of course, so much absorbed in his... Uh, uh, devotional service that uh, sometimes he would just uh, completely get involved in Krishna consciousness. We can see that actually Bharat Maharaj, he rose to a very uh, elevated level of devotional service. So this is important to note, and later how, of course, we know that he became attached to a deer and everything, and gradually that whole pastime would be destroyed. Kind of a unknown the secret pastime, everyone's heard it. But now, going through this particular part of the Bhagavatam, we can see, uh, verse by verse, how the whole situation developed, and how advanced Bharat Maharaj was, as he had reached the stage of Bhava. Because by our own sadhana bhakti, we can come up to the level of uh, Bhava, you see. More or less, it's of course, the mercy of Guru is always there, but it, it comes almost uh, automatically. It's, uh, it's something that happens step by step. So it could happen much faster if you get a special mercy, but this, this you can say that normal mercy it just happens quite easily in due course. But the level of prema is very, very hard. Uh, so that, that is something you can't achieve that. You could practice, uh, you could be in the level of bhava, even, even for a birth. But unless Krishna personally wants, he may, he may desire that his devotee should uh, wait. He may be relishing that intense desire of the devotee to become Krishna conscious. When Krishna finally reveals himself as he did to Narada Muni, who is also crying for Krishna, then the uh, prema is established when you realize the self and the super self, realize uh, Krishna in his uh, fullness, then one becomes completely... Uh, one's reference point, rather than rising from the material platform towards Krishna, is you're already then completely linked with Krishna and rather your connection with the material world is cut completely. Here in the level of bhava, it's 99% slackened. 99% cut. This slightest connection might still be there. 
this uh, one that one still come up from that material uh, level to this pure devotional level of bhava. So that one percent track, that we can also have to be very careful not to ever do anything whimsical. If we do something whimsical which isn't authorized by the spiritual master, like become very affectionate to a deer or something, then we could get in trouble. Even if we come up to a level of bhava. But normally, you see, that's, uh, that's a very elevated uh, platform. From there, Krishna's mercy, especially Lord Chaitanya's and the Acharya's mercy, is not long in coming. If they want, they can at any moment, they can give their mercy and they can give complete uh, devotional uh, perfection and a level of prema to the devotee. One can't demand it. It's not something that uh, anybody deserves. It's something beyond deserving. It's a mercy, and we have to simply hanker for that, desire it. And when Krishna's sweet will is there, he gives it. So if we become impatient and try to make a shortcut, this goes to Hosea. You can't short circuit. You can blow a fuse. If you try to circumvent, you see, we try to jump up too fast, then it becomes cheapened. Actually, a person goes very fast, as it is. If he just follows the regular principle, becomes spontaneous, then automatically one grad comes up to the level of bhava. One practices devotional service in that way, very carefully following the instructions of the spiritual master. And then, in due course, Krishna has his uh, maximum mercy upon the devotee. But if at some line, a person, at some level, the devotee thinks, so let me immediately, I'm already at the final level. I'm already, uh, you see, on the most advanced level and uh, tries to imitate as someone who's already uh, involved in the eternal pastimes of the Lord. Sometimes the eternal devotee of the Lord may be engaged in preaching. Therefore, that devotee may not, for that time, even remember his eternal relationship with the Lord, because that would be a distraction. Once you remember that, then it's very hard to preach in some cases. One could be absorbed in that particular uh, relationship. So, unless they voluntarily come down to the preaching level. So this is basically what a devotee should remember, is that we should uh, follow the authorized system. Mahajena Jika, Mahajena following the footsteps of the great acharyas, the great spiritual masters. But in there you have these uh, people who jump over. They just immediately claim to be in the highest level. Neither do they if you follow the regular principle, neither are they spontaneously preaching, but they're just claiming. Some people go very, very, very subtle, where they're actually Kanishta Adhikaris, but they claim to be Uttama Adhikaris, and some are, uh, are completely uh, in Maya, but they claim to be eternal Parshans, eternal uh, associates of the Lord, by uh, imitating just uh, this, I don't want to have to meet the atmosphere, but they do all types of uh, all kinds of uh, acrobatics sometimes for attracting the uh, minds of innocent people. So Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri Thakur to the Prabhupada, by their example, they would always be ecstatic, but they would uh, conceal or try to internalize their ecstasy. When uh, Srila Prabhupada sometimes would give a lecture one time in uh, Gorakhpur, and he was uh, describing how Rupa 
excuse me, how Sanatana Goswami and Lord Chaitanya met, I believe, in Barasi. At that time, that uh, embrace, Lord Chaitanya had embraced uh, Sanatana Goswami, and then Prabhupada was explaining how their meeting was exactly like the gopis when they met Krishna after long separation. And as he spoke then, he just completely choked up. He just completely manifested the symptoms stunned. And just he was frozen. He just he couldn't even move and tears were pouring down his eyes. And he couldn't say anything or he just couldn't move. And, the, and it was like about, from the eyewitnesses, there was about period of 30 seconds or a couple minutes where just, it was complete silence. Finally, when he could speak something, because it just suddenly, uh, he was just completely merged in that um, pastime, completely absorbed in it, then uh, he said, chant Hare Krishna and he had to end the class there. One time Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsitaka was lecturing and suddenly he became also overwhelmed by uh, transcendental uh, symptoms and uh, he had ran out from the class and ran up to his room and he didn't want to show because it, especially previously it was such a thing that there were actually people that they would simply constantly cry in front of the devotees and that would be the thing that would be convince them this type of external ecstasies and manifestations that this was actually the uh, this was the proof of their, rather than the Anubhavas, which uh, Bhaktivinotaka has uh, told us that we should observe, and the regular ten, uh, service or the spontaneous service principles that we should follow. So, in this way, our previous acharyas, they were very careful not to uh, minimize or cheapen the great uh, experience of love for Krishna. And actually he said that uh, therefore the real devotee is like seeing the tip of the iceberg. If you see any, even just a small, any kind of ecstatic symptom that uh, in the prema devotee, it's just like the tip of an iceberg. Even the tip of an iceberg would be because an iceberg is eight seven-eighths underwater and one-eighth above. But this is just one, you know, part of a percent above and you see the vast majority of the ocean below. You can't actually... It's so deep where a, in a, a devotee may be experiencing even a namabhat by intense association with the spiritual master, with Lord Chaitanya, one may get a preliminary feeling. It won't be full bhava, but it said just before the sunrise, sometimes there's also the sunlight. Like that, one may be experiencing a, a nama bhash, or like a twilight experiencing a bhava just momentarily. But that is the other way. That is, you see, not so deep. It's quite deep, but not so deep. It's rather this is sudden. And as they advance, then it becomes more and more and more deep, the experience of devotional uh, ecstasy and appreciation. So, of course, we are not concerned so much with experiencing ecstasy. Just like uh, the servant of uh, Krishna, when he was fanning Krishna, then... Uh, he became ecstatic and his uh, vision clouded up. He couldn't see. He was trying to fan. And uh, it was interfering with his fanning because he couldn't see Krishna anymore. The tears were coming out. His body was shaking. It was becoming very hard to fan. And so he started to curse that uh, ecstasy which, because they were interfering in his devotional service to Krishna. The devotee is more concerned with rendering pure devotional service, and the ecstasies are something which is uh, not the uh, prime impetus. Uh, of course, uh, in our neophyte phase, we're very interested in ecstasy because it counteracts and fills our heart with uh, love for Krishna, so that the material uh, 
material attractions, they have no room anymore. The heart is completely filled up. When the cup is filled, then there's no more room. So for the neophyte, of course, they, the beginning stage, they're very interested in uh, achieving ecstasy very quickly. So we pray to Lord Nityananda to make us always happy. But in this uh, very advanced stage of pain, even the ecstasy, is, uh, is, uh, for them it's uh, not as important as the service. The service is all important, pleasing Krishna. And the ecstasy comes, but uh, if it interferes with the service, even that they are feeling uninterested. That shows how selfless the pure devotees are. They're not uh, motivated even by the desire for ecstasy. They're motivated by the desire for pleasing Krishna. I don't think you imitate that level, but that comes spontaneously. Krishna Surya Sama Maya Hoyandokar Jaha Krishna Taha Maya Nahi Adhikar. And Krishna is just like the sun, and Maya is just like the darkness. So when the sun rises, the darkness of Maya cannot stay there. Nations has to go. So in the same way, when we can bring Krishna in our heart, then all the maya, all the ignorance, you see, that's all dissipated, all the doubt. So, Krishna consciousness is a positive alternative. Yesterday, at the Vyasa Puja celebration of the Guru Days, Vishwambha. Uh, Vishwambar Maharaj, when he was making his offering, then uh, he was saying it how uh, Gurudev, uh, by his uh, lectures in the Bhagavatam, he dissipated all the doubts of the devotees. And he made a similar comparison uh, that uh, how we have to purify the mind by hearing the instructions from the spiritual master because there Krishna is manifest. So, bringing Krishna in the mind, this is a positive alternative. We, we are bringing Krishna in by our activities, by our devotional service. So we should be bringing Krishna there. And automatically the darkness goes out. Most of the yoga processes are for systematically eliminating the darkness. This is a very difficult process, very tedious, but it happens automatically when you bring in the son of Krishna. So rather than we just uh, the grossest type of uh, mayas like the four regulated principles, those of course we have to neglect right from the beginning. But all the subtle mayas that are there, if we are ready consistent in bringing Krishna into our heart, then those will automatically go away. So in that sense, it's a very positive process. Devotional service means that we very consciously use our intelligence to establish Krishna at every moment in our heart. So, Bhag Maharaj was uh, able to bring a Krishna meditation to a great deal into his heart so that he was able to actually immerse there. But we have to never stop immersing ourselves in Krishna. At any point, if we think that now I'm quite advanced enough or I'm an old devotee, now I know everything or now I've, you know, I've done enough or something like that, now I can... I can watch television, Prabhu, I won't be uh, put in Maya by that. Or I can do this. Sometimes you find that the devotees, just like uh, Bharat Maharaj, I can have a pet deer, and he didn't plan it that way. What to speak of someone if they plan it, that uh, to have some kind of material, uh, unless it's directly connected with uh, devotional service. You know, maybe a specific show is there, where we can learn something about uh, how to present Krishna consciousness, those devotees who have that particular service. But sometimes you preach to older devotees and they, you know, become very resentful that 
taboo, to give me the benefit of the doubt, something like that, where uh, they're doing something which isn't connected with devotional service, Yet, just because they've been practicing for a long time, then they think, well, it won't really make much difference, or it's not going to affect me. But the principle is we shouldn't do anything that's not directly a devotional service. Even if we're Bharat Maharaj, if it's, even if it's a very good sentiment, he was protecting on a helpless deer, you see, but immediately he should have after it was, you know, immediately he should have uh, let the deer go its own way and not... Uh, he could have he did up the whole world and the kingdom was going on. Now, the deer wouldn't have also gone on. It required his day to day attendance. It didn't require, but he didn't consult with the guru, what should I do in this regard? So, even inadvertently, he delayed his return back to Godhead by three births. So similarly, we should be very careful not to become. Uh, Lack the daisy or not to become uh, careless, thinking that, well, I've already practiced for a long time. It's like the proverbial uh, race between the hare and the tortoise. Until we cross over the finish line, until we actually reach Krishna Prema, until we're back right to the lotus seat of Krishna, at any point, even just few feet from the, a few feet from the finish line, and somebody was racing and they tripped just before the finish line so they came in last. The danger is there. You can't uh, stop until you go over the last hurdle. It doesn't matter whether you've been a Bharat Maharaj after giving up everything or whether you're just in the beginning. We have to always be very consistently apratihata, uh, unbrokenly rendering our devotional service until finally we take the full shelter of Radha Krishna. Then our flowers and our fruits of uh, devotional service, they blossom and they fructify and then we are actually uh, beyond the danger of uh, falling down because our natural whole reference point will be changed to one of consistently, spontaneously, always in Krishna service. Therefore, Krishna could say, Nāpnuvanti mahātmāna saṃsiddhīṁ paramam gata. But once you achieve the spiritual world, then again you don't come back down into this material world as a conditioned soul. These are some very important lessons to learn from uh, Maharaj Bharat pastime. Are there any questions? <clears throat> Krishna Prema Nitya Siddha Sadhya Kavunaya Krishna Prema And that point of view is already within us, but it's been covered over. It's not something that we can achieve by sadhana, by doing some specific practice. It's already there within us, but due to our own misdeeds, somehow it's become covered up. So. It's actually just a question of Krishna, again, uncovering that already existent love for him, which we have somehow, in that sense, of course, it is our birthright. It's our, but what I was just uh, saying, rather, from the point of view, that whatever service we're offering, what is the value of that service if you were to give it a value? And then, if you took what is the value of, again, regaining our original love for Krishna, then proportionately, anything we can do, whether we're offering a flower or water, 
or even the devotees to Krishna in his service. But hardly does it equal the benediction of getting his eternal devotional love from that point of view that it's a causeless mercy because it's not that we deserve it in the sense that because of what we're doing we deserve it. But from the point of view you're bringing up that it's already actually, yes, it's already a part of us. But somehow we've forgotten that pure uh, love for Krishna. Nishadvika Bunoi, that we get it, uh, I forget the last half of it. Sarvanari Suddha Chitta Koraye Udoi. So it's by the mercy of the holy name that that uh, pure devotional service or that uh, Krishna Prema again arises. From that uh, point of view, yes, of course, it, it is our birthright or it is our nature to love Krishna, but we've forgotten that nature. So I was just trying to stress rather the point that it's not that we can demand Krishna that I've done so much service you should give me Krishna Prema. We can request him, we can appeal to him, and uh, certainly there's nothing else that we should want, and that uh, is the original status that we were in, so we should hope to achieve that. But it's not something that we can just demand that, uh, all right, I've chanted 16 rounds for two years, now I should immediately be given the darshan. If we chant purely. He's more eager to come to us than we are to come to him. He's more eager to bring us back to him than we are to go. But that's not the problem. But the problem is when we may not be ready. We may have so many material desires and material conceptions at the same time along with that we also have a desire for Krishna. But that isn't good enough. Our desire for Krishna has to be exclusive. That means that we require some more purification. We cannot, Krishna will not, we should limit himself to a material conception we may have of him. Our consciousness has to be pure that we can, uh, that Krishna, he reveals himself to us uh, without any uh, material uh, conceptions or limitations. He said, ultimately, it's up to Krishna's free will and his character. So from that point of view, we can try for Krishna, but uh, if Krishna doesn't want to reveal, there's not uh, anything you can do except just appeal to his mercy. Actually, it's it appears differently. And, and actually, it's also by Krishna's mercy, even our regulated advancement, or even the yogi step-by-step control of the pranayama and the, taking the atma to the different chakras. But Krishna allows it to... He actually, at each stage, he also gives his blessing and one advances. But uh, he allows it to appear as if it's going on mechanically. But actually, at each stage, he's giving his mercy. But he gives it more... It's kind of more or less automatically, doesn't withhold it. But at the last stage, sometimes he may there's no specific point at which uh, one can directly uh, know for sure that at this time, Krishna, if I do this, he's going to appear to me. Like Narada Muni. After seeing Krishna again, he did all the systems and meditation and he's trying like anything Krishna wasn't coming. Krishna says that uh, I don't come like that. You won't see me for some time. But it's not that by some regulated mechanical thing that Krishna appears. He appears at that level it's completely personal. He appears because that's his own desire to do so. So sometimes he wants the devotee to experience a more intense desire than like for Narada just suddenly appears then disappeared. Or like Parikshit Maharaj, he was suddenly there, then he was gone. Whole life, why the name Parikshit? 
Parikha means to test. But everyone he looked, he was analyzing, is this the same person I saw when I was in the womb? He was testing everyone, Parikshit. But, of course, there was no one who was like uh, Krishna, who he saw when he was in the womb. Any other questions? So we try to follow the sadhana because that was the order of the spiritual master. If there's someone who didn't follow any sadhana but still they got the mercy, then it's quite obvious that it's Kripa City. But uh, Srila Prabhupada, one time I went to his room in Mayapur and he just suddenly started to like admonish me. Like, I'm not depending upon my chanting of Hare Krishna to uh, be Krishna conscious. Not depending upon my writing or my reading studying of the Shastras to become to be Krishna conscious. I'm not depending upon... He started explaining all the different aspects of devotional service that he wasn't depending upon, which normally we all think that we have to completely depend upon. He said, I do these simply for the, uh, attracting the mercy. Just I do this just to please my spiritual master. I'm completely depending upon the mercy of my spiritual master. He brought in a totally different viewpoint that uh, actually we are dependent upon the Kripa Siddhi that we don't depend on our expertise in doing the sadhana that I'm very expert I'm chanting my rounds or I'm doing everything and because of my own expertise and doing all the practices therefore I'm going to make advancement. We try to be as expert as we can. We try to do as uh, well as we can to please the spiritual master. Still, we're always anxious at every step to get a little special mercy to uh, get that little We're going through the motions, just like someone, they may be going through the high school, college graduation, MA, PhD, but along the way, if somebody offers a PhD, they're not going to refuse it. So here, you see, but of course, normally people don't get it. So we practice all the, we go step by step, getting our graduation papers or whatever at the different levels we get the mercy but we're always anxious to get their mercy you don't want to jump up artificially but we are to get the real mercy you see even uh, beforehand or even in spite of our inefficiency and following everything uh, perfectly as we'd like to so we're always anxious for their mercy so that's one of the qualities of surrender, to be always hopeful and anxious to get the mercy of Krishna. We should always be hopeful to get the mercy of Guru and Krishna. And we take it that everything is by their mercy. That, uh, that actually, we may be doing the sadhana, may appear that, well, we've done sadhana and therefore we've got the mercy, but we take it that there may have been so many mistakes in what we've done or even if whatever we've done, but ultimately it was by the mercy of the spiritual master. Not only did he instruct us how to do it and what to do, without which we couldn't have made any advancement at all, but on top of that, the ability to do that and overcome the different obstacles that come up, that is also by his shelter and his mercy. So we take it as a creeper city, you can say. It's just that when externally... The sadhana is very prominent, so that would be categorized as sadhana city, but the devotee himself takes it that it's the mercy of the Lord.
and that the sadhana is actually a medium for trying to satisfy the spiritual master. Hare Krishna. Hare Bhagavan.